0: Chapter 6 of The Trial of a New Society by Justice Ebert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Conclusion Will the industrial democracy endure? The story of the arrival and success of the embryonic industrial democracy has been told. The fact that a new economic power has arisen and is achieving new political and social triumphs within the old social order cannot be denied. But the question arises, can it endure... Will the embryo thus conceived develop until it overgrows and dominates all institutions in the interest of a new era? To answer these questions positively is impossible. Humanity is not gifted with the faculty of prophecy or divination. It can only speculate upon, or point out the tendencies of, the future on the basis of the past. As Patrick Henry well said, The past is the lamp by which we may guide our steps in the future. End quote. To the past, then, we may refer, in order to set forth our beliefs regarding coming society. The past teaches us that every profound beginning is obscure and crude. Modern society and government began in the craft and trades associations of the Middle Ages. These developed the industrial arts and commerce in opposition to the serfdom and war of feudalism, and gave power to the communes and cities, which either overthrew the feudal nobility, or else compelled its practical abdication, though still tolerating its outward forms. Many of these communes and cities, quote, arose from the depths of marshes which served as a retreat for piracy, end quote. Footnote, Blanquin, History of Political Economy in Europe, Author's Introduction, page 27, English Translation, end footnote. Now they are noted for their magnificent architecture and imposing wealth, not to mention power. The early burghers, or bourgeoisie, were despised and ridiculed. They were held in such low esteem as to be placed outside the baronial castles, there to be exploited without consideration. They were not of noble birth. They owned no lands nor serfs. They were artificers, manual laborers and toilers, who, from the days of antiquity, had been deemed inferior, in brain and body, to the patricians who fought and directed the affairs of state. But nevertheless, they gradually became, through manufacture, commerce, and banking, the mainstay of society. Through their economic power and wealth, they purchased or compelled privileges. Thus they climbed to the top, until now they control modern life, especially in America. Here they have developed the private corporation, a form of organization which has outgrown the control of the state and is more powerful than it by far. To capture control of the modern state is to capture a husk without a kernel. A new governmental power has arisen. It is within this modern force that the new industrial democracy is conceived, and is striving for emancipation. Make note of the fact that the burghers or bourgeoisie did not attempt to become part and parcel of the feudal nobility, that is, they did not attempt their own development through institutions of, by, and for the feudal nobility. They did not attempt to secure possession of the lands, the castles, the arms and armies of the aristocracy by feudal agencies. They developed their own institutions, their crafts, their trade, their guilds, their communes and confederations, outside of and in opposition to the institutions peculiar to the original feudal constitution. They builded the new society within the shell of the old. They evolved out of the old by means of new institutions in keeping with their new aspirations. The evolution of the bourgeoisie was by no means an even evolution. It was not one long series of uninterrupted successes, nor was it of rapid development. At times the bourgeoisie were overwhelmed by superior force, or their own weaknesses and mistakes. At times their cause seemed hopeless, apparently obliterated, blotted out beyond all hopes of reappearance, or they were swamped, immersed, and almost drowned out in the terrible struggles raging within the feudal class itself. Nonetheless, they struggled on for centuries, now without, now with success, compelled to do so by the economic forces that called them into being, as the capitalist class, now the most triumphant class in all society, the class in which a Morgan is more powerful than a president, a Kaiser, or a Pope. In view of such a development on the part of autocratic capitalism, there is hope for the development of the industrial democracy. In fact, such development is already underway, Obscurity and crudity mark the beginnings of the modern working class's rise to power. The working class press does not compare in prominence, thoroughness, and finesse with the press of the capitalist class. It is hardly heard and little known. Working class literature and art are practically non-existent, though giving indications of approaching birth. Its organizations are not as strong nor as comprehensive as are the trusts, nor the money power of a Morgan which binds the trusts into one stupendous financial autocracy. In brief, the working class is only stirring. It has not yet arisen to its full stature, as has its opponent. Like him in early years, it has its weaknesses and makes mistakes to its own undoing. Like him, too, it is often caught in the vortex of struggles that mark the internal strife for supremacy in the enemy's camp. Like him, finally, it often is, to all appearances, wiped out, obliterated, drowned, beyond hope of resuscitation, in the sea of modern capitalism. Despite all this, however, the modern working class is a mighty factor that is growing in strength and clearness. Every once in a while it bestirs itself with a vehemence and a power that causes society to tremble lest it collapse. Thanks to the giant organization of capital that has given rise to the giant organization of labor, the working class is being taught how to unite as never before. The working class is learning that on its labor power, social welfare depends. When labor folds its arms, society is paralyzed and starves. Why then should not, in all justice, the working class dominate society? Why, in view of its stupendous social character, should it be the submerged of society? Labour is asking and answering these questions in its own way, regardless of capitalist institutions, law, state, or government. The character of the questions and the answers are not always clear to Labour itself, which acts instinctively, under the pressure of modern economic forces, and in accordance with their evolution. Turn to Lawrence, and observe that there the evolution of industry temporarily projected a new form of industrial government into existence, regardless of the prevailing forms and in defiance of them. Here there was a distinct working-class challenge to capitalist society on the lines of the class struggle and modern industrial evolution, well wrought out and carried to the greatest success possible at the present stage of social development. In Lawrence the workers recognized, some clearly, most instinctively, the social character of their labor power. They saw in it the basis on which to check a decline in their wages and conditions, and further improve both. Not only that, but they repeatedly thereafter, in the general strike and in the trial of Etter, Giovaniti, and Caruso, reasserted their power as before. They did this through their own class institutions, their industrial unionism. In England also tremendous events have occurred. In this land of classical capitalism, trades-unionism, labor parliamentarianism, and conservatism, a like revolution has occurred. The transport workers, miners, and railroaders have gone on industrial strikes, in which they also created, temporarily, working-class institutions more powerful than the capitalist state, institutions that compelled that state to act for, instead of against, strikers as previously. For example, in legislation favoring the minimum wage and promising social reform, These institutions presage and reflect in advance the working-class institutions of the future that will be developed along the lines dictated by industrial evolution, and not by political theorists. Still other recent events can be referred to that are full of stupendous significance in that they reflect the instinctive tendency of the workers to get near the economic heart of all social problems. Take the Bingham, Utah miners' strike, for instance. Here some five thousand men, mostly armed, seized possession of extensive mining properties. They did not leave their jobs and go outside of the premises to defend them against scabs, but they stayed on them, and compelled negotiations with them while thus situated. May not the day come when all the workers will have evoluted so far as to be able to seize possession of capitalist property and stay on the jobs while turning the capitalist owners out. Who can tell? Do coming events now, as always, cast their shadows before? The future alone can decide. One thing is evident, that labor is alive to the importance of its labor power. Accordingly, the oppressors of the working class fear its every move. Never before have they dreaded its revolutionary tendencies as they do now, and never before have they sought to dominate its course as they do now. They originate civic federations for the purpose— They favor AF of L unionism as against the industrial unionism of the IWW. Their papers bestow praise on the constitutional enactments of the socialist party that are aimed at genuine industrial unionism. They know who are their friends, though their friends may not always be aware of the character of the company they keep. In short, heaven and hell are being used by capitalism to prevent industrialism for and by the industrialists to evolve along evolutionary lines. But there need be no fear about the ultimate overthrow of capitalism. Society is not given to standing still. It is moving, with a rapidity that its henchmen and the petty politicians of all schools cannot stop nor modify. They have tried it, and failed. They will try again, and fail again. The future ultimately belongs to labor, unless all signs are wrong. The End End of Chapter 6 End of The Trial of a New Society by Justice Ebert, read by Joanna Michael Hoyt.